Welcome to Hacking the Gap. This is Greg Voison, the author of Hacking the Gap. And today joining me from San Francisco, California is my son, Sean Voison. And Sean is a software engineer at Adobe. And what I'm doing is I'm interviewing innovators and people that have to deal with solving problems and how they actually do it, how they design, how they innovate, how they come up with insights and ideas. And I thought of no one better than my son because he does this on a daily basis. So I wanted to ask him a few questions. So Sean, um, I sent you a copy of the Hacking the Gap chart. And as you can see, I believe that the role intuition plays in helping one connect the dots while innovating or designing something new is important. What is your perspective as it relates to um, in intuition, and do you believe that plays any role at all in your innovating and designing something new? Well, I guess it depends what you mean by intuition. So starting with my own definition of that, I guess I would describe what I feel is intuition to be is a kind of um, embodied knowledge that you acquire over kind of years and years of practicing a particular skill or, or practicing a particular craft. Um, and as you do that more and more, you start to take in the knowledge and take in the lessons that you've learned in practicing over and over, and they kind of become second nature to you, um, almost as if you're not really consciously aware when you're using that particular type of knowledge. Um, and I think, you know, the more you do something, whether it's software development or, you know, a, a hobby like, like baking or, or, or painting, the more that you practice it, I think the more that particular type of intuition plays a role in, in how you go about um, accomplishing what you're trying to do. Um, so in that sense, I would say intuition is very important um, to doing a job well but also to doing a job both quickly and to seeing things that maybe others wouldn't see otherwise just because they don't have that particular uh, level of experience, that level of embodied knowledge and um, wisdom that you may have acquired uh, over the years. So if I heard you, you're telling the listening audience that the collective subconscious of the mind, which it actually holds all the experiences that you had or have had is where you draw upon to do that. And that kind of leads me to, you know, my next question. Um, do you believe that it, that the developing something new or finding a solution has any collect, has any connection to any theological or spiritual practices and is there a power greater than the human force at work when you're designing or developing something new? Well, I guess first of all, I don't know that I would call it subconscious. I would just say that I wouldn't be consciously aware. And I make that distinction because I don't know where the knowledge is embodied. I mean, a piano player, right, practices for years and years and uh, just kind of their hands just kind of know where the keys are. Um, so whatever you want to call that, wherever that knowledge is stored, if it's just stored in the body, it's just stored in your nerves, it's stored somewhere. 
Um, that to me is intuition. That, that the way the piano player can just kind of move around the keys very quickly and without really consciously thinking about it. Um, does now does is there some sort of other dimension to that? I don't know. I would be. I think I personally would be wary to say one way or the other. I, uh, whether there's a particular higher power or role that plays any sort of um, influence in intuitive processing, intuitive decision-making, to me, I don't think really matters very much. Um, I think it's somewhat besides the point. Um, The point being that, coming back to what I was saying earlier, which is just about practice, which is just about really being present and being in flow, I think that's what intuition is all about. and so where, however people find that, I think it's fine. Not to say that I'm saying that, you know, people can't look to higher power or look to spiritual practice or whatever that happens to be. But to me, I think that's kind of looking beyond what's really right there in your face, which is um, just doing the thing, just getting in the flow of your practice, just getting in the, the place, being present, being here now and doing it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're basically saying staying present in the now um, is one of the ways in which you access this information, whether it be through intuition or recall, whatever that recall process is. So if you were to create a chart like the one that I've given you in front of you called the Hacking the Gap chart, where you see a sequence of events that occur in developing products or services. Do you see a sequence in the things when you're developing software like insight, ideas, inspiration, incubation, ignition, innovation, implementation, or how do you see it? Is it random? Oh, no, I would, I mean, any project goes through all those particular phases, you know, whatever label you want to give them, but it goes through all those phases. You still have to get from idea. You still have to then take the idea and incubate on it, which in in the software world might be considered design and prototyping. Um, You still have to then build it. You still have to implement it. You still have to get feedback from potential customers to find out if it's something that's even going to be viable in the market. Um, and a lot of that relies on on definitely the top of that chart, which is which is intuition, because you're never going to know all the answers. You're never going to be able to just analyze your way towards something. You have to just ultimately make a decision and trust that you've done this enough, trust that you have an idea of what's needed, and go for it. Um, so I would say a project goes through all those phases, but I would say that it also isn't necessarily a linear process. It's not like you go from one phase to the next to the next, and then you never go back to a previous phase. You definitely oftentimes will jump around. You might go from Mm -hmm. the ideation phase to the prototyping phase, and then you might try something out with a potential customer or potential user, find that it doesn't work, and then it's back to the drawing board, right? And then you're back to the idea phase once again. so that's this very, as opposed to linear approach, which in software world, sometimes people call that the waterfall approach, where you go from, if you imagine a waterfall going 
down from one phase to the next phase to the next phase and never going back up the waterfall versus a more agile or a lean approach to things where you are kind of moving between all these phases um, in little increments at a time until you get where you need to go. So from your perspective, you're saying that obviously the the ideas on the chart are valid, but the reality is, is that you don't see it happening in the sequence. You basically see where you jump around on it, which is exactly what the chart is indicating by arrows that go both directions. Um, you, you're, this is bi-directional. You can have insight, and then you have to go back to intuition. You can have an idea, and then you have to go back to insight. Um, it, all of those things are part of it. So you're saying it isn't sequential, and it does happen somewhat randomly, but at the same time, you're attempting to follow some path. Yes, definitely. I mean, it's, no, it's not random. Um, you definitely have right. to go through certain phases. You can't prototype something before you have an idea, of course. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So, I, no, I wouldn't say it's random, but I would say, again, yes, that you, the way you move through the phases can vary depending on the project, depending on what you're working on, uh, and that type of thing. Okay. All right. And I concur with you on that. I think that definitely... Uh, all of these uh, eight ideas that are within the Hacking the Gap chart are something that are, uh, like I said pre previously, bi-directional. You can go from area to area. Now, do you have any special techniques that you employ to help you have breakthroughs, like your daily meditation practices, which I know you do, contemplation, communing with nature, you hike a lot. And how important are these practices to keeping your head clear and your conscious open for breakthroughs, insights, and ideas, and where do you frequently find yourself having some of those experiences? Um, that's interesting. So I guess the number one thing is, um, which is especially true for people working on intense problems for long periods of time, which is often what computer programming is about, is just taking a break. Sometimes you don't have an idea of how you're going to solve a problem until you just step away for it for a day or two from it from a, for a day or two, and then you come back to it, and suddenly it's kind of the aha moment. It's there. It's, it's as if you were processing it in the background without really realizing that you were. Um, if sometimes when you just keep hammering on something, trying to get it right, um, you know, until the wee hours of the night or whatever, you'll never get there. Sometimes you just have to take a break. You just need to stop. And I think that's where practices, like however you decide to do it, whether that's just taking a walk, um, going out for a, a short hike, or you know, stopping and practicing some meditation, or just going and getting some exercise, can help a lot in, in that particular thing. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the other place where breakthroughs and ideas come from is play. So I think that's a really important part of creating something new, and it's really important part, important part of the design process, um, which often gets overlooked, which is the willingness to just play with things, to play with ideas, but also to be playful, um, to kind of break the rules, to just go out and experiment with things. So a great example of this might be um, one, of the, one of the areas that's um, kind of taking off 
in technology right now is this notion of spatial computing, this, this idea that people probably have heard of virtual reality or augmented reality, this kind of next wave of computing, which is all about um, 3D space, things that are spatial and not just on a, on a flat screen, but really present in the world. And what that really means for us, and I think we don't really have a great idea yet. There's a lot of interesting work going on um, in the area. There's a lot of companies out there creating all sorts of interesting applications and games and uses for both augmented reality and virtual reality, but it's still early days. And the only way to really have a breakthrough, for instance, in that space is just to play with it. It's just to see what's out there, to, to try things out, to not be afraid of breaking things, and, and to also just make little small experiments yourself um, and, and build some things and, and give them to people and, and see what works and see what doesn't work. And um, I think ideas often just come from that kind of playful attitude. So what you're telling the listeners that is, is really that play uh, begets breakthroughs, that actually being playful and really experimenting, just having the willingness to experiment um, is something that can create some breakthroughs to the other side on um, improving an idea, improving a product, uh, solving a problem, whatever it might be, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Um, I mentioned to you before we came on the call that Stephen Kotler was going to be doing an interview with me and it's really about hacking flow. And when you're in flow, how would you explain the experience? Do you believe you did anything to help you attain that uh, state of being or consciousness at the time? So when everything is just pinging, everything's just going right, um, do you believe it just happens? Or do you believe that you've kind of set yourself up for it or that it was a series of events that or sequences that led up to that? Um, I think it's a couple things. So one is having the right environment for it. It doesn't just happen. You definitely have to create the space for it. Um, so you can't be in a space where you're going to be – so at least for me in, this, in the area of computer programming, you can't be in a space where you're constantly going to be interrupted. Uh, you'll never get into a state of flow like that if people are constantly coming by to ask you questions or the phone's ringing or the TV's on or, or whatever. Um, so creating space, um, and that includes setting up your calendar, for instance, so that you're not thinking about something that's pending, but you're actually giving yourself several hours, whether that's early in the morning or later in the evening or whatever works, um, to have space to get into the flow. Um, and then I would say the other thing is to just have something, I don't know, for me, I, I guess I would be to have something particularly interesting to work on um, that's really going to grab my attention. And it's kind of a meaty problem. It's something to really dive into, to sink my teeth into. And probably I already have a sense beforehand of, how I'm going to tackle that problem. So I might have been thinking about it for a while and I'm kind of ready to dive in and, and, and do the implementation and really get into that state. And I could I, you know that could last that could last a couple of hours easily. Um, mm -hmm. And I think when you're in that state, those hours fly by. I mean you're often not really aware of of 
what, how much time is passing or, or not passing. Um, you're just hyper-focused on what you're doing. So ultimately, like any other form of just being present, um, it's, a, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a meditation practice in its own right, which is why I would say for meditation, it's the same thing. You need to create an environment for it. You need to create the time and space for it. And you need to be prepared before you actually get and sit down and, and sit on the cushion to meditate. You have to kind of get a mental preparedness to be ready to actually go and do that particular practice. And I would say the same is true for flow in, in, in any kind of practice, whether that's uh, computer programming or, um, you know, whether that's painting or, or, or whatever. Well, so critical thinking skills are something that is being written about all the time. And obviously, it's something that you look for inside of the people that you hire at Adobe to help you design software. Um, how important are your critical thinking skills? And where do you think that those skill sets actually, um, how do they become developed? Uh, they're vitally important. I don't think you could do the job without it. Uh, but I would say that's probably true mm. for most jobs. Um, mm -hmm. I guess where do you develop them? Yeah. I don't know, although I guess, as again, I would come back to play. Um, there's actually a lot to do there around, for instance, problem solving, playing with problems, playing with games, um, playing with ideas. I think that's a great way of expanding um, you know, problem solving and, and critical thinking skills. Um, and the other thing is just lots of practice, just doing it a lot. Um, oftentimes, you know, to, to, to be able to think critically about something, you need to have developed the mental discipline to want to think critically about it, to want to be able to sit down with it, um, to get a piece of paper and a pen out or a whiteboard and a whiteboard marker and really sit down and diagram things and draw them out and think about all the possible avenues of something. And um, that takes a particular type of mental discipline, I guess. So that's something that just has to be developed over time by the willingness to, and the fortitude to sit down and, and do that particular type of, of problem-solving or, or critical thinking. So it sounds like preparation is an important part. Play is an important part, as you're telling me. And so what tools or aids do you use, if any, to help you innovate? I know that many people use mind mapping software. Uh, people will tell me that they listen to music ahead of time. They meditate. And obviously, there's lots of techniques that people could do. They go take a walk. They work in their garden. Um, writers uh, break through writer's block this way. Um, what do you use? I guess I listen to music definitely when I'm when I'm working sometimes. Um, beyond that, I would say good old paper and a pen. I think there's nothing okay. that really beats it. And uh, oftentimes, the best way to think about something, at least for me, is draw it out um, and to be willing to draw out all kinds of things. Rub off the paper, throw it away, try something new. I don't think there's anything digital that to this day um, really beats it as far as just some, as a way of thinking through ideas and thinking through problems. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess I would say those. Yeah, 
you know, okay. it's old fashioned, um, but it still works. And as fancy as some of the new tablets are and styluses and all the types of software and, you know, being in the space, I've seen almost all of it. Uh, there's something just about the immediacy of um, paper and pencil that you just can't replicate any other way. Um, also, mm -hmm. it's usually what's readily and easily available to you at the moment an idea strikes. Um, whereas, you know, if you have to open a tablet and turn it on and open an app and everything, you've already lost it. It, it just has to be right, right there in the moment. Um, and that's, that's, I think, something that's really key to it. I'd say the other tool is to keep a, a journal of ideas. Um, so, and also, whether that's in a paper and pencil form or whether that's a digital form, but just to keep a journal of ideas anytime an idea hits, because oftentimes the idea is fleeting. And if you haven't recorded it, you'll probably lose it and, and you won't be able to remember it later. And sometimes those ideas are great, and maybe the time isn't right for them at the moment they strike. Um, sometimes the timing could be later, but if you have it written down, at least you'll remember it for or when that time comes, and be able to kind of continue to go and review that list again and again, think about it again and again. Um, I often do that for things that um, maybe topics that I might want to write about or give a talk about, um, but also ideas for new software prototype applications, uh, things like that. So I think keeping a list of the ideas that come to you is, is you know, vitally important. I like the fact that you said that because I write extensively about the capture and recording of ideas in uh, Hacking the Gap. Now, innovation is usually enhanced by working with groups of people. The collective conscious can't create a solution where the sum is greater than the parts of the whole. How do you recommend thriving in, the, in innovation when you're in this kind of group think? Because I know you've had to work with lots of other people, both men and women, uh, collectively working together uh, to solve problems and innovate. And what would be your what would be your statements regarding that? Uh, yeah, I have a lot to say on that, I guess. Um, so the first thing about coming up with ideas in groups, uh, I think that's a really valuable th uh, thing to practice. And um, I think the process of brainstorming in groups is very, very valuable because people will come to things from a perspective that you'll never have just because of their own life experiences and their own ways of being. And to get those ideas out and to really practice brainstorming in a meaningful way, not just kind of a, kind of a you know, for lack of a better term, a half-assed way, but to really devote it to it as if it were a practice in, of a, in and of itself, which is something like... Um, for instance, design firms like uh, IDEO do very well. Uh, they actually take a practice like brainstorming, coming up with ideas in a group very seriously and practice it on a regular basis just to get better at brainstorming. I think that's something that's really valuable. And, um, and, and there's a lot to, to learn there to be very good at it and also to mediate brainstorming practices and ensure that the ideas are coming out in the right way and being recorded in the right way. Um, so that's the first thing. I would say the other thing around um, innovating in a, in a group situation, especially when it comes to starting to 
to create things, to test things, to prototype things, is to have processes in place so that people have understanding of what the expectations are um, and what needs to be done first and also what needs to be done in what order. So being very good at prioritizing the work. Um, so there are some great tools and techniques for this. Um, one of them is like a, a technique called a Kanban board, which is a kind of series of uh, essentially um, boards or buckets. Um, and as, an, as a task moves from, for instance, the ideation phase to the design phase to the, the, the prototyping phase moved across these buckets, and you might be able to sort the cards that go into these various buckets uh, in a particular order so that you, you know exactly what's coming next. Um, the third is to ensure that the, no one in the group, and to continue kind of reiterating it, on it, especially when it's early days, is to let people think freely and, and help them not be too attached to any one idea or any one implementation of an idea. I think this happens a lot, uh, particularly in software where you might have people who've spent several hours or days or even weeks on something, and then it just proves that it's just not the right thing. Um, and you have to throw it away and start over. And so it's important not to be married to those things, but to look at, um, per, you know, for, for instance, particularly prototyping as this way of exploring ideas in itself through the process of making. So you're making something, but you're, all, you're, you're using the process of making to understand the idea uh, itself. And everything that you might make in that process might just get thrown away, and that's okay. That's just part of it part of it. Um, so that works well actually for both individuals and groups, but to make sure that everybody's on the same page about that um, I think is really important. So managing ideas, ideation, brainstorming, and ensuring particular processes are in place, and also then allowing everyone to have a voice, but I think ultimately also have at least somebody who's kind of guiding things in a particular direction. So somebody who uh, people can kind of look to as the ultimate leader, somebody, somebody they trust, somebody who can kind of take everything and synthesize it down and you know, use their own intuition to guide things in the right direction. Uh, that's, that's really good. I'm glad that you um, actually explained that process because it was interesting. I guess one of the questions I'd have is if these uh, individuals within the group ultimately are looking to the hierarchy of a champion or somebody who's guiding and directing. And obviously you've been in that position before. How do you prevent yourself from imposing your own um, hierarchical views on these people such that uh, it doesn't squash the actual group thing? So we do a couple things first. Um, we always look to the, the fact that great ideas can come from anybody, and everybody and anybody in a team is is welcome and encouraged to submit ideas, to work with their ideas on their own free time, and to get them to a point where they can convince the rest of the team that their idea is, is a great one. Um, the second one is transparency about decision-making. 
So being very open and honest about why decisions are being made, why the group is being directed in a particular way, um, whether that's because, uh, for instance, talking to customers and finding out what customer needs actually are, or taking a prototype to customers and bringing some members of the group along with you so that they can actually see for themselves the feedback that is coming from a particular user or a customer. Um, but being very transparent about the, the influences and the factors that are leading particular decision-making, I think, is, is really important. Um, and that, that often is what's most helpful in building a sense of trust with the team. Um, so, so transparency. You're saying transparency yeah. about why you decided to do what you did is imperative to keeping the trust with the group. Is that right? Definitely. Okay. Okay. That's good. That's really good. Now, do you ever find that the work of innovating, designing, and solving problems is draining? And if so, what do you believe distracts, drains, and leaves you feeling empty? Hmm. Well, I would say it can be draining if you look at it like a long march to, <laughs> to not getting anywhere. So... Um, but otherwise, I don't really find it that particularly draining. I think when it gets draining, if you feel yourself not energized by something, it might not be the right thing to be working on. Um, and that's maybe a space where intuition plays a part for sure. But if you're feeling drained at the end of the day um, by the particular work, you're not in the flow. And so it, it, it just may not be the right thing. Um, and that's kind of where you have to trust yourself. And the other times, you know, if it's, if it's training one day out of the week, that's a different thing than if it's training every day. If it's training one day out of the week, that's kind of to be expected because, you know, great inventions, great ideas, great innovation, all of that comes from a lot of hard work, and it's not always going to be easy. And so you have to recognize the difference between something that's constantly draining on you and not going anywhere and just feels like a big waste of time versus something that's difficult and draining but you know every day you really do feel like you want to come back to it and give it your all and get it out the door and get it into the world um, and so I think there's a very big distinction there and um, you know in the end uh, you have to trust what you feel is the right thing to do mm -hmm. well any words you want to leave with uh, listeners about uh, how uh, innovation and design um, not only has how you influence it, but really how it's influenced you or any, any parting words or thoughts? Um, I don't know. I, I, would, I would say get out there and play. I think everybody can has, you know, ideas come from all kinds of places. And uh, just get out there, play, and um, really write things down. I think that's, that's absolutely key. An idea can strike you at any moment, and if you don't write it down, it may, may be lost. Well, I think you've left the listeners with lots of great wisdom and thought about uh, playfulness, about uh, creating breakthroughs, about journaling your ideas, about the Convan board. I think that's what you called it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that there was a lot, a lot of gifts as a result of uh, our interview. Thanks for being on the Hacking the Gap show. 
All right. Thanks, Dad.